0: Code's very different, of course, from language, but many people are treating code as a new data modality. Yes, it is, but code's executable actually. So tokenizing code has a different context than it does for language, than it does for IT events, security events, or some other modality, time series, data, et cetera. We are spending a tremendous amount of time as a result of that, ensuring that we have that balance. And you need to do that across any domain, whether that domain is in the one I just mentioned as an example or others. The other thing that you said uh, that's that's really interesting is about having teams that always completely agree. We don't live in echo chambers, right? Uh, part of having a growth mindset is all about ensuring that we entertain those different ideas from members of a team. that's the mark, if you will, of a fully functioning team, taking in those different inputs and ultimately Coming to a consensus
1: welcome to Latinx in power a podcast hosted by Thaisa Fernandez your sales software shouldn't be a bummer when you step inside your CRM you should feel equipped to to do your best work. And that's the magic of HubSpot Sales Hub. The new Sales Hub is designed to help you win. With an intuitive prospecting workspace and AI-powered tools that reduce your workload, closing deals is no big deal at all. Get AI-powered tools like ChatSpot that are tailor-made to help you automate steps across the sales pipeline. So teams can take back their time and spend it more on impactful tasks, close more deals, and get on track for your best Q1 yet. Learn about HubSpot Sales Hub at hubspot.com/sales. Welcome to Latinx in Power. Today we are talking with Nicholas Fuller, Nick is the VP of AI and Automation at IBM Research, leading global teams in AI-based innovation for enterprise automation. With an expertise in AI software, modernization, edge computing, and semiconductor tech, he's an advocate for diversity and the author of struggle and progress.
0: Welcome. Thank you, Thaisa. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here with you.
1: And this podcast that now it's a videocast as well, our first kind. I'm very excited about that and scared. And I'm very happy that you are in this journey with me, Nick. And we will discuss Nick's career journey, innovation with ethics and leaving a tech and diversity legacy. He will also share advice for aspiring tech professionals, drawing from his book, Struggle and Progress. Which highlights the transformative power of embracing challenging tech. Whoa, first things first, how do you feel connected with the Latin America culture?
0: Yeah, it's uh it's a good question, right? And for me, there are three touch points. So again, just thank you for having me. Uh fantastic to be here. Looking forward to this episode with you. So, interestingly, as isn't a surprise to many, uh, the English speaking Caribbean communities uh, share many synergies with Latin America as a whole from a historical point of view, culture, music, food, of course, geographical proximity. I remember growing up and as a child, and the older folks in our communities, when asked, how are you doing? They would say, poca poca. And I was like, what is poca poca? But it was a translation essentially of poco a poco, little by little. And in the speech, there are many things that have survived that way. Of course, commonality in food, rice and beans, quite common in, in many English-speaking Caribbean cultures. So I definitely feel connected from that point of view. Of course, Trinidad and Tobago was colonized by the Spanish prior to the arrival of the British. So hence the derivation of some of those phrases, the names of towns and what have you. And the other piece that is really interesting uh, that is not necessarily that typical in terms of where I hail from. My maternal grandmother actually was born in Venezuela, right, uh, Tucupita, Venezuela, and I speak some Spanish after having done seven years of Spanish in high school and in college here in the U.S. So my background, of course, black with West African background, Indian background, Venezuelan background, and native Trinidadian background as well. So quite unique in terms of the makeup of Trinidad and Tobago and other countries as well in the region, for that matter, to some degree. So all of those touch points right from culture to proximity to my own history give me those connections so to speak with the latin american community
1: that's incredible i love your overview and it's interesting because i have been living in california for many many years i love it here but i wish we were closer to the caribbean and latin america in general i feel like i'm so far away so 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 far but anyways
0: (laughs) i know yes are some distance away from Latin America as a whole, but then you get to bring that uh, melting pot that's there too, right? In terms of South America, Central America, and and live that experience that you're having there too.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And your career journey has been quite remarkable. Can you you share the story of how you got started in the tech industry and your path to becoming VP at IBM Research?
0: Yeah, so three sort of defining phases, if you will, that first phase really coming out of high school and having a inclination, a love, so to speak, for science and technology led me to pursue a bachelor's degree in physics and math. Of course, these were the early days of computer science. So while having some interest in that was very much uh, and deeply technically oriented, right, in these uh, specific domains. So I majored in those two at at Morehouse College as part of my uh, bachelor's degree from the period of 93 to 97. Then I went to uh, Columbia, Columbia University, New York, where I did my PhD in applied physics and was really intrigued. This was the era where companies were all aiming to shrink devices to get faster and faster uh, processing, right? So as semiconductor companies focused on uh, shrinking devices for a range of applications, I was naturally drawn to that, right? And and spent the better part, not only of my PhD at Columbia, but also once I joined IBM, I was intrigued to join IBM because of the many things that IBM did at the time and continue to do, uh, really major in that space. But along the way, something interesting happened to me, right? As I was matriculating through the IBM experience post-PhD from Columbia, there was this huge growth in data, right, that we're all very familiar with today. There was the growth in cloud. There is the growth in cloud, the emergence of, of the early... Uh, era of AI from machine learning to deep learning and so on. And I roughly 12 years ago or so made that transition from semiconductor technology innovation for IBM systems, IBM microprocessors into the area of of data analytics and, and cloud. And, you know, I'm the type of individual as challenges arise, as opportunities arise, I gravitate towards them. I'm a problem solver. I love tackling new domains. I love working with people. I'm very much people oriented, which ultimately led me into management. So, you know, we have these career trajectories. If you look at IBM Research as a whole, and IBM for that matter is no different from many other technology providers where you can progress around a purely technical track and then you can progress along a technical business track, so to speak. And I opted for the latter, given and the fact that i a enjoy working with people and b really gravitate to the emerging trends of the day and so today i now lead this team i have the privilege of working with this global team in the areas of ai and automation which is all about taking large language models generative ai hot topic today in ai as you and all of your viewers are quite aware and infusing, applying those generative AI capabilities to IBM software portfolio, the blend of automation products that we produce. So for me, that's quite exciting. It's, there's excitement every day in terms of the challenges that we face, in terms of uh, the products that we're ultimately innovating on, and then seeing how customers are adopting those technologies and using them for their business to drive value.
1: That's incredible. I love that. I love your overview. And I I love that we have been talking a lot about AI in this episode from like a Latinx and a Caribbean lenses. So it's so, so inspiring. And I think personally, one of the things that I love the most about having this opportunity to talk with folks for the podcast is where we talk also about the challenges and also the insights. So I wanted to ask you, can you highlight some of the most significant challenges you encounter in when leading innovation and what strategies have you employed to address them?
0: Yeah. So, so there's a lot, right? And in any technological domain, certainly Gen AI is, is no uh, exception to that, be it uh, new accelerators, be it cloud technologies, what have you. Whatever domain you look at, uh, competition is very severe, very stiff, right? And the rate and pace of uh, new technologies is really unprecedented. If you look at uh, the human history of introducing technology, going back to the earlier ages of the dawn of the industrial age and so on, that competitive rate and pace of new innovation for me is a challenge from the point of view of ensuring that I build as a leader strong and balanced teams right, with a healthy work ethic. Applying discipline, ensuring we have discipline both in the discovery process and execution. Many think of discipline as only applying to execution. It also applies to discovery. Yes, you leave room for discovery, you leave opportunities for discovery, but discovery when time-bound actually creates some interesting scenarios as you go through discovery processes to think of new ways of doing things. Many examples fall into that category. The other interesting thing I would say in terms of challenges, right, as you look at generative AI, Gen AI as a space, is internal alignment. I, I think uh, obviously a lot has happened with the emergence of ChatGPT. Many companies, including ourselves, have released our own data and AI platform, WatsonX, and. What you see as you look at these domains is the need for incredible synergy and precision from an internal alignment point of view. I'm a huge fan of uh, this book I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, Patrick Liancione's book on the five dysfunctions of a team. Right? It emphasizes the need for clarity, and oftentimes that internal alignment tends to Uh, Go awry, so to speak, when there's a lack of clarity, when there are challenging personalities and so on. So it really calls out for strong leadership, and it's something that we have really emphasized, double down on, triple down on within IBM as a whole in this era. Last but not least, I'll I'll highlight this other piece: uh, the need for rapid in market validation. Right, you know, as as I shared with you at the beginning, as you shared in your introduction, I started my career with my PhD in physics doing. Bachelor's followed by that PhD and joining IBM, innovating in microprocessors. That microprocessor innovation timeline every 18 months or so as you go back to Moore's Law is when you introduced a new uh, transistor technology. And you've then tested that into the market as you build product. That's very different from a software point of view. And even hardware has changed from that point of view as well. And so with rapid innovation cycles, right, with new features dropping every few weeks or so, the need for in-market validation with users to gain market share, to gain feedback on how to iterate, absolutely critical. So I'll summarize in those three ways really in terms of challenges, right? The the rate and pace of competition, what we do there, how we address that, how we ultimately have to focus on that as leaders. It's a key thing for me. Secondly, uh, that internal alignment piece that I touched on. And lastly, iterative learning and market validation uh, with the agile methodology put into practice with clients.
1: Incredible. And you mentioned a book that I really like. I think it's one of my favorite like, business books, The Five Dysfunctions of Our Team. I totally recommend for folks who are listening to us and watching us to take a read. I think this book changed my perspective in regards to conflicts and like, be able to discuss different point of views and also pay attention to some things that... I don't know, sometimes we might not. For example, if sometimes you might have a team, they're agreeing on everything and they never disagree. And maybe there's something wrong, right? Because people have different opinions. They might have different priorities and be able to discuss that is very important. So I think this book completely changed my view. And you mentioned another thing that is very interesting. I feel like working with things that was never done before. And I feel especially AI. So there's this need of like launching something fast, have validation from your users, but at the same time, what is the balance between those two? Like how do we make sure that you're like covering everything that needs to be covered? And I just, I think this will be our challenge moving forward. I don't know, like I I would love to expand on that and hear uh, more about your thoughts.
0: In fact, if you look at, we announced, uh last week or so, new product family Watson code assistant for various programming languages, right? For IBM platforms to modernize COBOL language on IBM mainframes into Java, right? Optimize for performance on IBM mainframe, right? As opposed to moving it off the mainframe onto the cloud where the performance uh, degrades with that pure translation technology. We announced similarly Watson code assistant for Ansible IT infrastructure uh, programming languages. And, you know, in these, various efforts that we pressed ahead on, uh, we moved this so quickly to get these out to market. Right, One of the things that we have been examining as a team, as a company, is ultimately how to step back appropriately and develop that space for additional discovery. Code is very different, of course, from language, but many people are treating code as a new data modality. Yes, it is, but code is executable, actually, so tokenizing code has a different context than it does for language, than it does for IT events, security events, or some other modality, time series, data, et cetera. We are spending a tremendous amount of time as a result of that, ensuring that we have that balance. And you need to do that across any domain, whether that domain is in the one I just mentioned as an example or others. The other thing that you said uh, that's that's really interesting is about having teams that always completely agree. We don't live in echo chambers, right? Uh, Part of having a growth mindset is all about ensuring that we entertain those different ideas from members of a team. that's the mark, if you will, of a fully functioning team, taking in those different inputs and ultimately coming to a consensus where you may still disagree, by the way, on the approach that you take, uh, but understand why you're taking that approach for one or more reasons, typically some business reason or what have you. So I couldn't uh, agree more on both points of view that you raise uh, for, you know, the reasons articulated.
1: Incredible. Many professionals aspire to leave a lasting legacy in their field. And what do you hope to be your legacy in the world of technology, automation, innovation, and overall?
0: It's an amazing question, actually. And I want to share something personal. So I was uh, waking up uh, a few weekends ago, uh, taking my morning stroll. The weather was still nice, still is nice, (laughs) right here in the Northeast. And uh, I got a voice note from a, a family friend whose two sons I uh, mentor. Uh, she's based in Trinidad. Her two sons, one's at Harvard, one just finished at University of Miami. And she made the point to me that you, have been a legacy and an inspiration even before you set about having that agenda. And it was uh, very humbling for me to get that voice note. She's a good family friend. I've known her for many years since I was a teenager. And and to hear that story was just remarkable. So, you know, the, the answer to your question is really twofold, right? There's a tech hat I wear, but then there's obviously the, the human hat first, right? We're all individuals, we're all people. And I really seek to leverage my story as captured in in Struggle and Progress as a means of inspiring others your struggle doesn't have to be mine. Any any struggle is a struggle, period, whatever that might be. And invariably, even if seemingly folks are born with all the tools required for success, there may be some other struggle you face, some teacher you had that you didn't align with, or some disease that you had to confront. And there are many people I've taken that uh, examples from uh, as a child growing up and now as an adult, Who've inspired me, actually, right? And so that's really first and foremost uh, what I'm about. My book didn't start that way; it started off as a, as a, you know, a thank you uh, to my my mother who raised us as a single parent mother, uh, but it evolved into that plus uh, the legacy that I pass on for my kids, for others who seek to be inspired. And then from a tech point of view, I'm really intrigued by the intersection of, of technology and business. You know, I, on my way in today, uh, just something as simple as wheeze, an accident happened. You know, hopefully uh, everything worked out okay for those involved. But a few minutes before I got to my destination, and I had a, a meeting that I needed to be face to face for. And, uh, Always rerouted me, right? Uh, in the past, you know what that meant, right? You're stuck. <laughs> You're stuck and you are waiting for you know that traffic to subside. Uh, we we become so reliant on tech that we, many of us, myself included, we take it for granted. I want to leave that mark. In a, B2C is clear to many people, B2B is probably less clear, right? When you think of oh, wow, 95% of all credit card transactions run on IBM Z and there's AI running in those transactions to help you figure out if fraud is happening as part of that transaction. The average user of a credit card isn't thinking about that, but that's the legacy I aim to leave in the space that I work in in automation and with this intersection of Gen AI and tech and doing that really critically in a responsible way.
1: First of all, I love this person who asked you this question that made you rethink about your legacy before you set this agenda—that's credible, and it's incredible to think about that, and and weird and amazing at the same time. I feel
0: it is, it is, it is. I—I I had never—I mean, I don't think about myself in the third person, so I certainly hadn't had that thought before she said it. But as a as a person approaching, you know, the the fifty-year mark in life. <laughs> I'm very much conscious about what I leave uh, for my sons and my loved ones. And and wh- how is that history written at the end, right? Uh, there should be a whole lot more than this individual went to good schools, et cetera. It really is about impacting future generations. My, my life philosophy is how do we leave this planet that we've inherited in a better place than the one we were born into? And so I try to live my life that way.
1: Incredible. I love that. I'll I'll be thinking about that. I think this exercise, it's incredible because in some cases you might have not been aligned to your goals or even your values. So I think it's an opportunity to like, oh, okay, I'm going to this direction. Is this pretty the direction I want to go? Maybe I should pivot now. So having this conscious effort or thinking about it, that's very interesting. I never thought about that actually.
0: Yeah. 10 more seconds on that, Thaisa. I, I kid you not, right? I probably, I wouldn't say perseverate, but I certainly spend quite a bit of time reevaluating: Am I doing what I want to do? And from the lens of how I view my life philosophy, and that's spending time with loved ones, that's helping loved ones, that's the legacy I aim to leave, et cetera, et cetera. And invariably, it brings you to forks. And then you make a decision based on those forks that are available to you.
1: Incredible. And another very important uh, topic that I wanted to discuss with you and get your thoughts. How do you balance the need for innovation and advancement in technology with concerns about ethical considerations and potential societal impacts?
0: Yeah. So, you know, trustworthiness and governance and AI – is critical to me, first and foremost, as an individual. It's critical, secondly, to me as, a, as an IBM executive, right? Uh, an IBM leader in the space of AI and generative AI, and I'm I'm really thrilled at what we're doing, right? We of course announced an indemnification strategy, uh, which was published uh, in many places, including in the New York Times, fairly recently, so that our customers understand that we can ease their qualms about using Gen AI. We assume those risks from the AI systems we'll publish technology underlying data, et cetera. And, and that has really resonated with our clients. So that's certainly one piece of it. And we're thrilled as well with what uh, President Biden recently signed uh, his executive order aimed at Tackling the a safe, secure, and trustworthy use of AI uh, by tech providers. We we think this is an era. I mean, you see many examples of this already, right? You don't have to. Uh go too far, you turn on any form of media, and uh, there's a lot of fear out there, reasonably so, in, ter- in terms of how it can be uh, utilized in a negative way. This probably can and will rival the threat of cyber, right? And cybersecurity has been a huge issue, of course, uh, with the advent of modern technology. And uh, these are some of the biggest threats we will face, coupled with you know, uh, geopolitical uh, matters, coupled with zoonotic diseases, uh, like the pandemic we recently have come out of, and so on and so forth. Humanity has to, together with leaders from a tech point of view, leaders from a government point of view, federal point of view across you know the planet, come together to drive this type of uh, conscientiousness so that this happens in a safe and trustworthy manner. Now, will there be malicious actors and malicious players? Absolutely. So the guardrails are really critical, and that's a key part of what we're doing uh, as IBM. And uh, like I said, it's critical to me as an individual, but also as an IBM exec.
1: That's very interesting. I digress is hosted by Troy and is brought to you by the HubSpot podcast network, the audio destination for business professionals. With shows under 30 minutes, I digress helps eliminate complexity, complications, and confusion in your business with frameworks and strategies to achieve scalable and sustainable success. I enjoyed the episode titled, Your Marketing Sucks, a reflection on challenging the legacy of best marketing practices and why we need to embrace inclusive marketing, where Troy discusses the reason it may be failing you and suggests what you can do about it. Listen to I Digress whenever you get your podcast. Another topic that I want to talk with you I'd love for you to share more about your book, Struggle and Progress. And I would love for you to share, especially insights into how embracing struggle can lead to progress, especially in the tech industry. I think it's it's such an interesting thinking.
0: Yeah, good question. So, you know, when... Uh, it's, it's funny, my... Son brings home a B, or either one of them, which doesn't happen uh, frequently. Thankfully for me, <laughs> um, or they struggle with a, a match. You know, one plays tennis, one plays soccer, and if they had a bad game or they lose a match, whatever, right? Uh, they internalize things and. Key for me, and you don't realize this as a child, but reminding them that you don't understand what success is until you've had failure. Right? Uh, Failure absolutely helps you to determine not only the path, but coping skills, mechanisms, support networks, etc. And for me, that happened really very early. Right? Uh, Being born into a, a single parent. Household, Uh, there were individuals in our extended family who made poor decisions, right? That led to poor decisions driven by economics in many ways, but led to uh, various uh, criminal elements as well. uh, That as While that wasn't happening in our nuclear family, certainly had impacts on us, right? Likewise, the absence of my biological father from my life is something I struggled with on a regular basis. I internalized that so much. And it's interesting, many don't, Well, maybe they did, but I don't think many recognize this. I had many close friends who I grew up with in high school, et cetera. And I would look at their dads, right? I would look at how their dads were fathering them and uh, begin to steal and, and adopt pieces that I thought were valuable from each of them. And likewise, from my maternal uncles, right? The brothers of my mother as well. And stitching together almost in an algorithmic fashion, my vision of what a father should be. And of course, there was a lot of, Emotional turmoil that went along with that. So I capture that in the book and how it ultimately allowed me to progress. I think somewhere around 30 uh, odd, right, at age 30 or so, the thought of myself being in a place where I was quote unquote ready to be a father, right? And I remind my kids on a regular basis when I make mistakes, say, hey, that's a guy. I'll make mistakes. My job is to figure out those mistakes with you, to apologize when I do, and ultimately go forward. So there was a lot of coping skills that came into that. My wife, very helpful. My mother, very helpful throughout those entire journey. Friends were very helpful, very close friends, right? My college roommate, very close friends, all helped in that journey. And, and that's the other thing, right? We, I want to touch on this for five seconds. We We are from, when we talk about Caribbean, Latin American cultures, there's a certain machismo that we associate with it, right? And uh no, we, we can't cry, no, we, we can cry, it's okay, right, as men, and there's that fear, because we have to show a certain sense of bravado, and and yes, of course, there's a sense of being together, we all need to have that, but mental health is a is a very important factor and facet of all our lives, uh, including for our cultures that we need to be paying attention to. So having done that was tremendous for me, and I continue to take coaching offered through IBM and other avenues to help me, in my view, be a better individual. And guess what? That translates to tech, right? Uh, in tech, it's, it's interesting because you, you can't be your whole self to whatever your career path is, whatever you do. Uh, if you, as an individual yourself, don't have that that good mental pulse, which is like, what I just touched touched on, right? So that's point number one. But point number two, you're working in a broader community, right? Uh, we are typically not at parity, right, in that community. That's no surprise to any one of us, and much less so for that matter, as you get to the executive levels. So that's a very important thing to me too, right? Ensuring that I drive programs that are focused on promotability. Retention, recruitment of of diverse communities. So that's point number one. But point number two, we, we know of these subcurrents. We know of these microaggressions, uh, status denial, things that happen that almost seem insignificant until you've lived it. Right. These are very important things. Isolation, right, because of our numbers. And so, a good buddy of mine, who's a professor uh, in Texas, uh, has written on these things. He's a sociologist, and I've read quite a bit of his work. And from that, I've been able to gleam okay, coping skills, coping mechanisms, and we have our network. So I advocate to anyone, you need not necessarily be part of our demographic. You can be part of any demographic facing any of these challenges, microaggressions, status denial, isolation, et cetera, and how to handle them, right? How to manage them, not to fly off the handle when they happen for et cetera, for example, right? And coping skills and support networks, all of these things matter in helping you to progress.
1: That's incredible. You mentioned so, so many important things. I'm very excited to read your book. And it's interesting how like our industry as well kind of brings some of these concepts. For example, when I first learned about agile many, many years ago, I was like, is that okay to fail? It's just Mm -hmm. like, it's okay as long as you are learning and you can pivot and you can improve. And I was like, what? To me, when I learned about this and I was like, that's incredible because I think we used to live in this moment where we are like, no, we are not failing. We are like perfect all the time, right? We are not struggling. Let's not talk about it. Let's just like pretend that this is not happening. Let's continue what you're doing. And when agile came and you are like, no, you're going to fail and you should be failing fast and you should be learning. And at the same time, you're not just collecting learnings, right? You need to be doing something about it. And I was like, I don't know, to me, it was mind blowing. And I I was able to incorporate that in like my life as well. But it's just such an interesting concept. So yeah, I just, I love everything that you said. I just wanted to share that.
0: (laughs) No, I appreciate it. You know, And I'll add really quickly, it really aligns with what a growth mindset is, right? Because from the point of view of not only an individual, but that of an organization, a corporation, et cetera, if you understand that, yes, failure is a part of that "Quote unquote daily process as it relates to progressing towards a destination, a target, a journey. Right then, with that growth mindset, you figure out, you course correct, you iterate, etc. It applies to parenting. It applies to relationships. It applies to social curricular, extracurricular activities, and so on and so forth. So, embracing it really as a fundamental principle upon which you live for me is is absolutely critical.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned another very important thing for like us folks from Latin America and the Caribbean. We still like the minority tag, and as you said thinking about leadership positions I don't know if you're aware of that but you are a unicorn so (laughs) it's just like it's crazy to think about that because there's like a balance between okay we have this new scenario which which is okay to fail right but at the same time you're part of this very small minority group and a lot of times you need to be very strategic In a lot of things you do, which meant that being like doing this exhaustive work or like trying to cover your work and your impact, a lot of what you're doing, advocating for yourself, because sometimes you might not have someone who is advocating to yourself. So it's just like it's that's a lot more that includes being a part of minority group, especially in tech, because it's just that's so few of us that this work is even a bigger
0: Absolutely. Spot on. Spot on. You hit the nail on the head. And, you know, it's funny, we as as black executives, we got together fairly recently uh, to discuss the year where things are going for us as a community. We invited to that some future uh, executives from our constituency and so on, brought up topics around the school test, recent decision, et cetera, and ultimately how we progress. Right. Many times we put that lens upon ourselves as it relates to, yes, uh, can I really fail? Because, like you said, being unicorns and so on, sponsorship becomes a key part of that, which is why, where we do have ourselves in represented positions, yes, it's not at parity, but ensure that you're pulling, ensure that you're promoting and being a sponsor for that next leader so that we grow that ecosystem ultimately. And, And guess what? Sometimes those sponsors, right, in a culture, in a organization that's progressive, outside of that constituency. And that's what you need. You need allyship as well. Allyship is often not talked about as much as sponsorship from within constituencies. Clearly, you need that. That's a necessary but not sufficient condition. Allyship, given the broader spectrum of the folks that make up and comprise those organizations, is absolutely critical as well. So we, we uh, certainly within IBM, we strive for that. We aim for that. I aim for that as well. Because if I have allyship, I can just succeed in getting that much more sponsorship.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. I want to ask you, which resource helped you in your journey? Is that anything you wanted to highlight?
0: Yeah, so I went from an individual who watched a lot of movies, read quite a bit in college, to reading more technically when I went to grad school. uh, And I'm somewhere a blend of the two now. I watch a lot of documentaries, right? And there are many things that I've pieced together. I want to touch on a few, right? A few that have been really helpful for me. Clearly, what I've written is a manifestation and a culmination, right? Struggle and progress of my own journey, right? Which has helped me as well. Going back and rereading it from time to time, which I do, it is amazing to me how I internalize things and what it has done for me. So so that's one. I want to touch on a few others, right? Uh, When it comes to things like basic human rights, nation building. I met uh, Nelson Mandela at Columbia. He spoke to uh, an audience of many of us, right, uh, students at Columbia when I was in graduate school. This must have been in 2001 or 2000, right, that period or so before I graduated. And it was inspirational to hear him speak. Of course, I enjoyed uh, the movie made, bearing his life, long walk to freedom. And what he has done, what he did, and of course, uh, the impact he's had on on society, just tremendous for me as a life lesson, right, on uh, how to be uh, forgiving while still pursuing a greater goal. Uh, From a nation building point of view, he stands out, uh, Eric Williams stands out, uh, former prime minister of uh, Trinidad and Tobago, his book, From Columbus to Castro, was pivotal for me. Uh, You're Brazilian, right? So uh, I really enjoyed uh, Birth of a Legend, the movie that celebrates uh, Pele right, and his whole life story. It's its any story, documentary, movie, what have you, that depicts a struggle and achieving against all odds, and then maintaining, adopting a human view really stands out for me. Not the individual who, okay, yes, I did this, I have this chip on my shoulder, etc. You've now lost a sense of what it means to be a human being. We all bleed, we'll all pass. And so uh, the work that he did, uh, Post-retirement, et cetera, traveling the world, helping impoverished communities, Uh, just just major to me, major, really, really major. Within tech, there's a lot of people. (laughs) There's a lot of people. And I was trying to think about this uh, when you shared this with me offline as well. A few stand out i'll give you a couple and it doesn't mean that others aren't significant but there's so many that stand out right given my interest span all of technology and science uh, but the story of vivian thomas right uh who played a significant role in open heart surgery uh didn't have an md and uh transformed an area as a black man in the u.s uh, years ago decades ago just absolutely amazing, right? Uh, I remember seeing that movie on a flight. I was like, wow, I didn't know of this guy. This is an incredible story. And the other one on site when I was doing uh, my, my, when I was in high school, actually, I remember reading, doing calculus, uh, Euler's method and so on, and then reading his life story. This guy went blind and his last 17 years of his life after going blind was more prolific than before he was blind. And when you think of that struggle and the progress he was able to make, just miraculous. So, you know, for me, I gravitate to these types of stories, right? Sort of uh, a quote-unquote rags to riches, and I'm using rags to riches as a metaphor here, not in terms of finance. Uh, Just really fascinating to me, the human spirit, what what the human spirit can achieve uh, when seemingly against all odds in terms of obstacles placed in their way.
1: Incredible. I love your recommendations. I'm loving this conversation. I wanted to leave the last minutes for you to share anything you want to share and also where people can find you.
0: Yeah. So so first and foremost, I want to thank you right? For being an advocate for the Latinx community and the broader community who tunes into your uh, podcast, right? I want to commend you on uh, opening this up, right? Uh, to audio plus right? plus, Uh Well done to you. I'm really thrilled to have met you and, and keep doing what you're doing. It's really awesome. And we need more voices like this that are out there that share and spread the good word and ultimately just help uplift and connect people. So that, that's point number one. I want to commend you on that. Uh, anyone can find me on LinkedIn, right? Really, Easy. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm a more X, ex, excuse me. <laughs> I'm a more avid uh LinkedIn user, right? So I'm easily uh sourced uh through LinkedIn. Uh and yeah, you know, from from my perspective, closing words, uh, I personally would be happy as we continue to grow and address the challenges the planet faces. I touched on them before. Their tech challenges, cyber, gen AI, while very uh promising, has its challenges as well. We touched on that before, but then the other challenges, right? Where leaders are needed who span not only expertise in tech, but expertise in bringing folks together to solve the problems that are in front of us. Absolutely pivotal to ensuring that we make this place and leave this place in a better way than the way we met it.
1: Incredible. I feel we need a part two of this conversation already.
0: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Sign me up. I'm, I'm game for sure. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much. that's it for today, everyone. Thank you so much for your time. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast and the episodes. Please message us with any insight any feedback you might have and also guest suggestions. Message us in your favorite social media platform. We are in all social platforms and if you want to write us in a review, we will love that feel free to write us in a review on Apple Podcasts audible amazon or any other streaming that you like thank you